Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. And this week we've got a real treat for you because we've got the founder of a startup that won the Digital Procurement World 2019 Conference Award for the best startup. And they're also making a lot of waves in this space because it's a really unique, game-changing solution that they've brought out that kind of matches e-sourcing together with artificial intelligence and augmented negotiations to bring a whole ton of value to your supplier negotiations and to get tenders done in a fraction of the time than they would otherwise normally have taken. So my guest today is Edmund Zagorin, CEO and founder of BidOps, and we're going to be talking all about what this technology does and how they've brought in a really innovative business model to be able to sell this and increase their sales and grow their market share in times when, to be honest, a lot of companies don't have much of a budget to spend on technology. So really looking forward to getting into into this discussion and drilling into some of the details here. So Edmund, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Uh, It's a, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. We're a, we're a fan of the, the podcast over here at BitOps. And so, um, Looking forward to the conversation and, uh, and and getting into it. Fantastic. And just for complete uh, transparency to anyone that's listening, I recently became a partner of BidOps. So if anyone's interested to try this out, then you can by all means reach out to me as well as the BidOps team. So after you won the Best Startup Award at Digital Procurement World back in what seems like an eternity ago, but it was only in November last year, has that propelled a lot of growth for you? Is it, Or is it more down to the fact that COVID-19 struck and everyone, everyone now is needing to deliver you know, more, faster, quicker, and with fewer resources, and they're looking for ways to, to work smarter to do that? James, you know, the kind of months after uh, DPW last year were like an incredible whirlwind of, of activity for us. And I think one of the things that's been interesting is to see the sectors um, in, in which we've seen the, um, the greatest growth, not just from a sales perspective, but also from a utilization perspective. Um, we're, we're at a point now where we're seeing uh, trends not just across uh, different uh, industry verticals, but actually across different uh, product and spend categories globally. And so, you know, we're seeing uh, pharma, life sciences is a huge area that there's been a lot of movement for digital transformation, a lot of appetite. And then, you know, sectors like automotive has been really interesting. So there's a lot of companies in that space, again, doing business for Things like spare parts, things like maintenance, repair, and operations categories, MRO categories, the the pricing, there just hasn't been a lot of visibility into the negotiation process, into the RFQ process. Um, and so that's that's been a huge uh, area. And then, you know, more recently, I would say COVID has limited spending. A lot of organizations have furloughed workforce. We're dealing with global economic turmoil. But that turmoil, I would say, is 
volatile rather than recessionary in its kind of most immediate impact. We'll, of course, see whether or not leads to a a greater recession or, or economic depression. But in the immediate term, you're seeing some industries, uh, particularly in like consumer packaged goods, that have seen real surges in demand. You look at cleaning products or um, even things like toilet paper, where the supply chains have just been rapidly reorganized. Of course, PPE category yeah. we're all very familiar with now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 been quite a whirlwind and. I mean, the whole market is going through a, a massive change. So it's still uh, still early days from, from our perspective. And that's such a diverse client base in those different industries that you touched upon. I mean, you've, you've gone, you, you've quoted some insanely profitable industries there, but then also, you know, if we look at industries like automotive that are typically, you know, very much, very, very cutthroat and, and very, very low margin, right the way through to things like, as you say, consumer packaged goods or FMCG, as we call it in Europe, where the, that has boomed in some sectors. But my former employer is uh, is a toilet paper manufacturer. So yeah, and I know it well from, from, from former colleagues that I'm still in touch with. So to be able to penetrate all of those different markets must mean that you're doing something right, because a lot of tech providers tend to niche down on a specific industry or a specific sector. But you seem to be catering to to pretty much the the whole gauntlet as long as as long as I guess they're sourcing something that that is in volume that makes it worthwhile to to use the platform. With what you do, how does it differentiate itself from a more traditional e-sourcing tool? Both the ones that are aimed at larger sort of corporate organizations as well as some of the more niche or or, or new things that have come onto the market that are aimed more towards small and medium-sized businesses. Yeah, James, that's that's a great question. And you know, I think when you when you look at the solution space, there are kind of three categories of of players. You have your legacy solutions that are again more kind of corporate focused. And these are, you know, the the kind of king of this pack is SAP Ariba. And, you know, SAP Ariba is going to be a integration cycle with your ERP system. You're probably hiring an outside firm to help with that that integration process. And that's not, by the way, just going to be a technology process. That's also going to involve thinking about the procurement organization from a roles and responsibilities perspective, and also going to involve some process mapping. So looking at how you're doing things now and how implementing something like an ERP bolt-on solution uh, is going to potentially transform your processes. You might also look at solutions like uh, GEP uh, is is in that Jagger, which used to be SciQuest and uh, a few other companies. And so, so these providers are all massive consultative sales cycles. There's uh, a period of integration to kind of spin up and install. And there is, and I think will remain an appetite for solutions like that among large corporate players. But of course, the critical thing that people are looking at now and, and increasingly going forward is, do I have the IT bandwidth to actually implement a solution like this? Where am I going to get the budget to do it? Um, and how long after I make the decision to buy the solution, is it going to start producing business results? And so those questions end up being answered through the consultative sales process with any of these providers. But I think that increasingly you're seeing the procurement stack unbundled to the, se- the second category of solutions, which I would call best of breed solutions. And these solutions are primarily cloud-based web applications, which means instead of being 
something that you install with, um, you know, an on-premises uh, database or that you configure by having a, a large uh, number of meetings with IT. It's actually accessed through a web browser. So you go into Google Chrome or Firefox or uh, another web browser and, and you navigate to your own dedicated instance and boom, you're in. This is a trend that we're seeing procurement following sales and marketing in the solution space. So Salesforce CRM is a great example of a cloud solution that has been very disruptive for technology in the sales and marketing space. Um, and I think you're seeing procurement solutions follow that in, in terms of the ability to offer, you know, just a, a cloud experience. And, and the benefit there is that you can actually get an entire procurement team live in really a, a matter of, of minutes and hours instead of um, weeks or months. You can integrate all of these solutions with your ERP provider. It just doesn't have to integrate at the beginning. It's, it's a nice to have rather than a must have, right? So it's a lot more versatile in terms of when or how or if you do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that that is what is, is kind of propelling differentiation within the space as a whole. And then the third category of solutions is data providers. If you take the Salesforce CRM example, if you're a sales team and, and you, you buy Salesforce or another CRM system, you're also going to go out and you're going to buy a Zoom Info. Uh, which is now Discovery Org, and that helps you get contacts for leads to put into your sales process to then run that uh, efficient pipeline. And so what, what we're seeing is companies like Tealbook, which is a, a great data provider in the space, Scoutbee, companies like Integrity Next are coming in to be data providers associated with supplier contacts, research about the market, and detailed analytics associated with supplier risk, compliance, and so on. Those providers plus the cloud services stack, uh, and I put BitOps in the, in the second category, were a cloud-based web application with artificial intelligence that allows you to simulate a negotiation and get a savings estimate. So you can essentially build a business case for every single sourcing process you run um, and also generate an intelligent first offer that helps you get savings faster. So our our slogan is, is better quotes faster. And that's really kind of our, our unique differentiator is you can run this, this unique game theoretically optimal type of negotiation where the buyer names their price and in, in doing so commands a decisive advantage. And so, you know, that kind of fits in with that second category of, of cloud solutions. And then what we're seeing actually in our customers is people are, are going out and they're saying, instead of getting this long ERP bolt-on solution, we're going to start with digitizing today. So we're going to go out, we're going to buy a solution that gets us some supplier and risk data. We're going to buy a cloud procurement solution. We're going to put those together and boom, we now have the ability to stand up a global supply chain anywhere in the world, localize those suppliers and get best in class pricing. That's kind of really where we see the market heading as a whole. And then our, our unique differentiator, again, is, is just using AI to estimate the savings opportunity, go first in a negotiation manage the process end to end with intelligence. By intelligence, what we really mean is this revolution in content creation from web applications where uh, it used to be the content in web applications was one size fits all. So if you log in, you're seeing very similar content to what uh, other people are, are seeing in this, the same platform. Well, what you really wanna see is the content and the suggestions in the application change over time in response to your behavior as the system gets smarter and smarter. And so what BitOps does is actually we do that on both sides of the application. 
So just a quick interlude before we move on with the rest of the podcast, just to say that if you are a procurement leader or a finance leader in a manufacturing company and you're struggling to get to grips with your spend or you just maybe need an extra pair of hands to resolve a specific issue and drive some bottom line results, just drop me a connection request on LinkedIn or just ping me an email to info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com or just follow the link in the show notes to book a free 30-minute initial call with me so as I can learn more about your business and what I can do to help you. So now let's jump right back into the interview. So are you finding then that given that you essentially you're straddling two niches of both being an e-sourcing tool and also using uh, AI to do simulation of negotiations and come up with smart first offers. So bearing that in mind, and also the fact that you're a cloud-based solution, I, I guess most big businesses, most larger corporates are going to have something like an SAP or an Oracle as an ERP system in place anyway. So are you starting to see companies move away from those ERP systems for for certain parts of their procurement processes? You know, if they've got very specific itches that they want to scratch that are better suited through these best in breed solutions i mean not just bid ops but i mean the the industry in general of these cloud-based best in breed solutions you know james i want to dig in on this point because i think that there's there's something really important that 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 needs to be said which is that erp solutions in general are not built for doing procurement at all Uh, in in (laughs) You know, doesn't mean they can't do it, but they're built to be a financial backbone of the business. They're built to manage a general ledger. And what we're seeing is that there's a big difference in the solution space between procure to pay and sourcing. And so what, what we're seeing is actually the procurement is unbundling from the ERP, whether that's SAP, Oracle. J.D. Edwards, uh, you know, there, there are a few other providers out there. The first unbundling was for was to unbundle to procure to pay. So that is the, the Arebas, the Coupas, the, you know, integrated solutions of the world that I kind of mentioned earlier as, as part of this category one in the, in the market. Right, that are more aimed at enterprise level customers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then what we're seeing now is that those are unbundling further. What we're seeing is the unbundling of sourcing. And the reason why this unbundling is important to understand in the market is that the unit of analysis associated with the data model is different. So for procure to pay, the unit of analysis is the purchase order. So if you get a spend cube done and you're looking into your spend category, you're really using an accounting centric mindset to look at that to spend and to, to, to break it up into different categories and see where the opportunities are. But in most cases, you're not seeing line item level detail. And this is really, really important. It would be like, James, if I asked you to tell me roughly how many sandwiches you've bought in the past year. I'm being a little bit uh, absurd, but, but just go with me for a sec. You might go to your credit card statement and you might say, okay, well, how can I use my financial history to see how many sandwiches I've purchased in the past year for myself? And what you would quickly discover, and this is true of most credit cards, is there's no line item le- level detail whatsoever. It will tell you that you went to a restaurant and you might have spent you know, $15 there. It won't tell you what you bought. 
And so what you'll find out is that actually on the ERP and procure to pay side, the data model operates in a very similar way. So it'll tell you you to purchase order with uh, you know vendor X and for this amount of money, but it won't actually tell you at the line item level what you bought. Yeah, well, if direct materials, it would, but yeah, and indirect materials and services, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, yeah, because a lot of it's purchased on free text, yeah. Well, and so the but the the interesting thing is is that even in indirect materials, getting that line item level detail is challenging, not because it's not in not because the ERP system can't show it, but because literally in the method of generating the purchase orders. There's often mistakes, errors, incorrect data, uh, et cetera. And so it's, it's not even that the ERP can't show it to you. It's that the underlying data itself does not support that type of investigation. The reason that sourcing is such a terrific opportunity is because sourcing allows big companies to see at the line item level exactly what they're buying. Um, and not only what they're buying, but what the opportunity associated with savings looks like when they run good sourcing processes or expand the amount of spend that sourcing touches across different categories. I completely agree. And I think with um, with anything like a tool such as BidOps or, or any sort of sourcing, sourcing module, if you're able to break it down to that level of granular detail and to be able to, to measure that as an event, you know, as as long as that is recorded somewhere centrally and doesn't just sit in someone's C drive or in an Excel file as it traditionally has done, it can give you a huge amount of data. It, it's really just keeping that in a centralized place that's easy to access and that's a user friendly platform to be able to to be able to access it. I mean, I mean, sourcing tools generally these days are able to do that, but with what you've developed with BidOps, it does a, it does a whole mantra of other things on top of that. So. I mean, this technology doesn't come cheap. And you alluded earlier on in the interview that, you know, IT budgets are tight right now. And even though, you know, people need to be sourcing smarter and sourcing faster as a result of COVID and some of the supply chain disruption, companies don't have six or seven figure IT budgets to to spend on procurement tech. So, you know, I guess there is a business case to do something here, assuming you can convince a client of the of the benefits of of implementing something such as such as bid ops in the sourcing space. But you've actually brought in quite an innovative solution to this in terms of you're offering the tool on a on a gain sharing contract. Could you talk us through a little bit around how this works and and what sort of take up you've had there and some of the common sort of concerns and pitfalls that clients have when they look at implementing something on this this type of model? Yeah, James, happy to, uh, to, to dive into that. So uh, we're actually really proud of the fact that we're able to offer our solution to qualified customers with no upfront cost. And part of the reason that we're able to do that, it all goes back to our low cost to serve. So creating a secure, dedicated instance that is fully integrated with all of our customers' data is something that we can do in under an hour. And because it's a really low cost to serve, we're able to say, look, rather than going through a you know, sales process that's going to take up a lot of your time and a lot of our time, let's get you on the platform. You don't have to pay us a dime. And let's get you off in sourcing. 
And what we have to agree and be really clear about is that when you save money, as you inevitably will, that at that point, we have the terms of our commercial relationship uh, solidified so that we understand what it costs to actually pay, have a digital transformation that pays for itself. Now, BitOps uh, as a solution, our, our selling price um, is designed and our agreements are designed to pay for themselves in under 30 days. And so we're asking a very reasonable price to begin with, but we also understand that um, as, you, as you alluded to, IT budgets are tight. Um, in a lot of companies, people are freezing uh, IT spending. And so the question then becomes, well, if you're making it harder to save money and your goal is to save money, is that really a good business decision? Most people will say no. So as part of a cost reduction project, BitOps can actually be leveraged to drive a tremendous amount of savings. And so it doesn't really make sense that we should have as a blocker for that, um, this IT budget constraint, which organizations are seeing. And so what, we've, what we focus on is alignment, creating really good and really powerful alignment with our customers so that when they're winning, we're winning. And we found that this, we call it a gain share trigger proposal. And the reason it's that is because we're not trying to have an unlimited amount of gain share. This is really just about creating the conditions under which a proposal can be successful. So we agree on the price for the year. And by the way, BitOps proposals are not based on the number of users. You get unlimited users. We want you to, to communicate with your business partners and your, your internal business customers using BitOps, manages all of your messages, uh, make sure you get out of those long email chains that are so uh, irritating. <laughs> and so we agree to a, a flat price for the year. And then we say, here's a solution. We'll give you full support, get you live, help your suppliers on board. And once you achieve the outcome that, that we've described, you know, don't take our word for it. We want to see you get that outcome. And then we'll have an agreement that's, that's already been executed um, and at that point, we we uh, get you know a PO cut. So that that's really the framework around the agreement. Uh, you asked about pitfalls. I think the, to, for these agreements to be successful, they have to be driven by clarity, expectation, and trust. Um, so we put everything on paper. That's that's our main rule. We don't do any handshakes or oh you know you said this, I said this. It has to be on paper. So if we're doing our job right, our gain share agreement is less than a page. <laughs> it says exactly exactly what happens and when who's responsible for what, and it makes sure that when the customer gets their desired outcome, that that's a happy moment for everyone. Because it's always been a bit of a hornet's nest from a legal perspective, hasn't it, in terms of, you know, how does one prove a saving if, um, especially if it's a bunch of parts or components or, or materials that that don't have a purchase price history, there's always going to be that battle between procurement and the CFO around what constitutes a saving. And do, have you have you never been sort of dragged into the middle of that? We haven't because we always structure our agreements as having one approver for recognizing the savings. So we've done okay. this enough times that we just have uh, a pretty standard process for savings recognition, and we ask, of course, the the customer to agree to that process. And our gain share agreements are driven by uh, savings opportunity. And so the business gets the opportunity to award savings and 
if they uh, choose to do that, then they, the you know, solution can provide that benefit uh, immediately. If they choose to recognize it over a longer period of time, that tends not to affect our agreement. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is not about gain share from our perspective. It's about how do we create alignment with our customer's desire to implement a new digital solution, but not necessarily being able to justify that budget upfront. Right. And I guess as part of that, the person then that's going to be signing off those savings in most instances is going to be procurement. And and I mean, I understand what you're saying that you as a third party provider, it's completely outside of your control. If they've got a difficult stakeholder that just doesn't want to implement or doesn't see as a priority the saving that that a sourcing that that someone in sourcing has gone out and 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 got on the plate for them, you have no control over that. So you know ultimately you have to get paid based on the factors that you control. Just just like a consultant, ultimately you know can't can't guarantee that every every opportunity that he finds when he goes into a client will be will be ultimately implemented. It's the same argument, isn't it? I think that's correct. And we haven't seen this. I mean, the the folks that we've worked with on agreements like this have just been absolute rock stars. But I do think that if there's ever a question about what is or is not the case, then it just means that the agreement hasn't been written correctly. Because if it's done right, there should be black letter, true, false statements. And it's either true or it's not. You either got the opportunity or you didn't. You either hit the goal or you didn't. And then the question then becomes, well, how good is uh, an organization at setting goals for its procurement organization? And we've seen actually that there's a tremendous amount of maturity in goal setting and KPIs for procurement. Um, there's a lot of great managers out there who are, you know, creating visions for what they want to achieve throughout the year. And, you know, I would say that from, from our customers' perspective, you know, if they can get to their goals faster or do more with less, in some cases we are seeing the labor force and procurement being constrained, people, you know, either losing headcount or simply being asked to do more with less or having employees that, you know, are just able to work less because they're working from home or they have other obligations. Um, some people are, you know, having to do childcare uh, alongside yeah. their day job and as a result, seeing a, a hit in productivity. So you're a leader, you're thinking, well, what can I do for my team so that we can, you know, do more with less, hit our goals for the year and deliver a great user experience to our business customers. And so once you've decided you're going to get a digital solution, the question then is, well, how am I going to pay for it? And we've seen that this, this gain share trigger approach is a very effective way of doing that, but it should never be about, you know, arguing over uh, nickels and dimes. Bearing in mind that you do all of that and the and got a good business model and it works and, and they see the benefit and procurement leaders that are constrained want to go out and do more with less you're still going to get skeptics i guess because i mean i've I've been one in the past in terms of the effectiveness of of some of the more traditional e-sourcing tools so if you if you came across somebody like me three or four years ago in my corporate position that had had sort of a sketchy history of doing of running e-auctions and running e-tenders and the results that you get from them so my final question is how would you convince one of those skeptics and how would you distinguish and differentiate yourselves as a solution from that? Well, I would say the challenges with traditional e-sourcing events, I would say are threefold. One is they're kind of hard to set up correctly and you need to be really good at running them a lot. 
there aren't a lot of people who have run a tremendous number of them to have the experience to set them up correctly, which is why you see a lot of consultants in the space. Two is that executing them, there are a lot of failure points. If you think about it, you have all of the suppliers, each of those is a failure point. You have the buyer, that's a failure point. You have the business customer, that's a failure point. And then you have the technology itself, and that's a failure point. So if you add all of that up together, there's a lot of opportunity to fail and everything has to go right for it to succeed. And so what BitOps did is we actually rethought the entire e-sourcing process from the ground up. We built intelligence into every step of the way. So the default outcome of our process is success. You know, when I used to be a consultant, I used to help customers set up sourcing processes on a variety of different systems. And it was always a little bit nerve wracking, like day before and day of to make sure the event would go on without a hitch. You know, with BitOps, our customers typically <laughs> don't even monitor the events that they're setting up wow, okay. <laughs> to get the results back and they get the tabulation and they say, great, we got the savings on to the next thing. And so the, re- the reason, by the way, that that works is because the whole process is driven by the game theory of the intelligent first offer. So if you think about game theory for a second, I, I, I'd use probably an example from, from the American criminal justice system, which of course the American criminal justice system is in, in many ways deeply flawed and has a history of institutional racism. And, and, but one of the reasons for that is actually the game theory associated with the justice system itself in the form of plea bargaining. So in plea bargaining, the prosecutor comes in and says, all right, if this goes to a jury, you might get 40 years. But if you take my deal, you'll be out in two years. What do you want to do? You want to roll the dice or you want to accept the offer? And the United States, like 90% of cases do not go to trial at all because of this plea bargaining system. Because game theoretically, people reduce their risk and they end up pleading guilty to crimes they haven't committed, which again, is an awful tragic outcome that we should all frankly be horrified by. The example I'm using demonstrates, however, the effectiveness, the essential effectiveness of game theory in negotiations. What BitOps does is by making an intelligent first offer, we actually create alignment between buyers and their suppliers by mutually de-risking the process of offering a quote. So the intelligent first offer is an indication to the supplier where their pricing is expected to come in, where they should come in based on the buyer's access to benchmarking data. And it helps the supplier submit that quote faster because there's just less that they have to fill out. So there's like reduced manual data entry. People generally like it when things are easier. And so there is literally just a convenience factor to the quote submission process. The final element is that in terms of the evaluation side, you're getting that rapid apples to apples comparison across the board, factoring in value-based criteria as well as price. So you're having that total cost of ownership understanding and you can actually see and compare across business requirements for different suppliers. So, I mean, you know, I would say if there are skeptics out there, try it out. And if you don't believe that your team is, is up for it as far as change management, work with a partner, work with a consultant. So what you've outlined makes a lot of sense. I think the only thing that I would add to this just before we sign off is that you're still going to have to choose a category that's beneficial for a, for an e-sourcing process. You know, if you're if you're sourcing complex engineering services, it's probably not going to work. But if you're if you're sourcing 
something that is pretty easy to define what the spec is and and has some volume behind it or has some significant spend then that then yeah i mean it's uh, i would say as well to anyone that's listening to take edmund's gauntlet challenge and 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 yeah give it a try because um you you don't know until you've tried it and and it is genuinely different to a lot of e-sourcing tools that you may have historically used in the past that are using you know pretty old hat technology these days let's be honest so final question or final point edmund before i sign off if anyone would like to get in touch with you or with the bidops team uh what's the best way that they can reach out to you so I would say if, if anyone's looking to get in touch, we do have a, a website, bitops.com. You can sign up to meet with a member of our team directly on the site. It'll actually give you some options to, uh, to, to make an appointment. Or you're more than welcome to email the, the company, hello at bitops.com. That'll go to our marketing team. Or if you want, you can reach out. You can reach out to me directly, uh, either through LinkedIn or email. And then there's also uh, some great resources on us. Um, I'd call out Spend Matters did a fantastic profile. They're they're very uh, detail-oriented. So it has pros, it has cons. You see the good and the bad. And I'd urge you to explore the evidence and you know, come come to your own conclusions. It's certainly a great time and <laughs> to be to be exploring procurement tech, but also there's so much choice. There's an, an embarrassing array of choice that it can be often quite a perplexing choice of uh, often quite a perplexing decision or or proposition to to someone coming in that doesn't have a deep understanding of it. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you pointing out those resources that have also done some independent analysis on you. Edmund, thank you so much for jumping on the show with me. It's been great to talk to you and learn more about some of the detail that I didn't know behind the platform as well, actually, and how you got to where you got to. So thank you for the conversation. Uh, Keep in touch and yeah, good luck with your growth. Thanks a lot, James. I appreciate the invite. It's always fun to talk about these topics, talk about where the market's headed and uh, the evolution of of new technology in the space. And uh, I I wish you a a good rest of your day, good rest of your week. Love the podcast. so, So keep at it. So that, my friends, is a very passionate founder who loves to talk about his product and his platform. Edmund gave some pretty detailed answers there as to what BidOps can do and how it differentiates itself from some of the more traditional uh, e-sourcing tools that are out there and some of the objections that historically have been faced when looking at those types of solutions. So hope you found that really insightful. Just a quick one from me before I sign off. This is actually going to be the last episode of series one of the ProcureTech podcast. And I'm going to be going on a little bit of a hiatus for the next few weeks. But don't worry, we are definitely going to be back with series two, which will be coming back at you in a few weeks time. And series two, we're actually going to mix the content a little bit for series two and do something a little bit different just to make sure that we stay fresh uh, in the ears of our listeners. So definitely look out for what's going to come your way in a few weeks time with the new series. We will do a short trailer episode before we launch series two, as well as some updates on LinkedIn. So if you're not following the podcast page on LinkedIn, then definitely hop over there and give us a follow so as you know what's coming. All the best, everyone. Look after yourselves. Take care during the time that we're off the air. And I look forward very much to catching up with you very, very soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, 
why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation. Oh,